The Web But Better is the first installment of Future Proofs podcast series, where we'll be hosting conversations with some of our favorite community organizers, builders, and founders. Throughout our first series, we will discuss what's happening within the world of emerging technologies and the ever-evolving World Wide Web, questioning the variability for individual autonomy in a world of algorithms, resilience of social networks in the face of changing sentiments, and of course, how best to preserve our privacy and data rights with or without the help of legislation. We are joined by technologists who are challenging the status quo to build internet technologies that prioritize people, both online and off. In today's episode, we will be joined with a friend of the podcast and former cohort member, Amaira Garcia Cabezas. We hope you enjoy listening. and I'm a web content creator right now and I'm joining from Cuba my beautiful and surreal island <laughs> my pronouns are she her and it's always a pleasure to talk to you awesome well thank you for taking the time to join us on the podcast uh, before we kind of get into the nitty-gritty of today's topic on accessibility of the internet and the lack of accessibility in emerging tech spaces such as the Web3 movement, I would like to ask, uh, what is your relationship with technology? How did you use it? Uh, What was your introduction? And how did your relationship evolve? Okay, that's a very interesting question. Um, I, I've been, I mean, technology has been around me like my whole life somehow mm-hmm. since I was very young. And I, I was born in 1980, so it was a very interesting uh, era to be <laughs> alive. And somehow I've always been around technology, but I never thought in myself I never saw me as part of the tech world because I, you know, the whole idea of you're not good in math and you're better in, you know, just writing and and you are too creative and too chaotic and that's just for logical mathematicians and Mm -hmm. gray brains. So the thing happened to me, even when I, I went to this STEM school that is like a huge thing here in my province, it's very difficult to get there. You need to even do some some exams to get there, and it's very um, it's like very stressful because you need to keep your grades very high mm-hmm. in science, which for me was amazing. Not at all. And even with all the that in my background, I never saw myself like working in the technology world, but. Um, at the end, I just end up here after the pandemic, 
Um, I, I would say like during the pandemic, like so many people, um, I, I was an entrepreneur here in Cuba and I was working with my husband, but we had to close our business like so many people around the world. And um, my country, it's, uh, it's crazy about <laughs> the economics. And I study economics here, which is crazy too, because you start <laughs> to see things that people don't see around you and you just get mm -hmm. it and you are like, this is not right. You know, this, this decision is not right. Just because it's politically right, it doesn't mean that it, you won't have to face some consequences in the economic or financial side. And that's something that it's been happening in my country over and over again for decades. And you see that when you just have the background I have, but people around you don't see it, but okay, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So we've had to close our business and um, with the, the whole idea of, of our economical crisis and um, losing everything and having to practically sell even the sink <laughs> of a yeah. kitchen to to survive. Um, mm -hmm. We found out about Bitcoin. I think it's a very common uh, story here in Latin America. A lot of people uh, knew about blockchain technology because of Bitcoin. There is, a, I think it's a, there, we have a big Bitcoiner community here in Latin America, Bitcoiner maximalists. Mm -hmm. So um, that's, that's, that was my introduction into, I had no idea about blockchain technology. I had no idea about what I just knew about Bitcoin and the possibility to put your savings there because when you have hyperinflation, when your currency is so devaluated, like every day, it's just paper for you, you know? It's not like yeah. a real value. And um, it's not difficult to actually take the decision of, okay, I'm going to try something different because my currency is really bad already. So that's how I started. I knew about Bitcoin. I started to even starting about trading until I realized I'm not a trader. Um, but that helped me to see what is behind Bitcoin, that it's a blockchain mm -hmm. technology. And that was the moment and I was like, wow, this is different. This is, wow, this is wow <laughs> yeah yeah and, and that that's how I, I actually came with the whole idea of, of the blockchain technology and the technology itself and the tech world but before that i was just um college professors slash entrepreneurs slash writers slash poets mm -hmm. <laughs> survivor yeah i it your story and the evolution of your relationship with technology is really interesting and I think mirrors a lot of, I would say, marginalized voices within the science and technology field. Uh, particularly, one of the, the points that stood out to me was that gender bias. Uh, I also wanted to kind of go back to what you had said about kind of being surrounded by technology as well. I also grew up, uh, I was a kid, but was around in the 90s and definitely remember touches, light touches of technology and kind of the progression of 
how communication flowed um, and how it evolved over time. And I think your piece about learning about economics and seeing how that has impacted your kind of perspective on living in Cuba and how it brought you to the Bitcoin community, I think is particularly interesting. Could you uh, talk to and kind of like describe a little bit more about what that community looks like um, and how the hyperinflation of Cuba plays into that for you? Hmm, definitely. Okay, uh, back then, I would say it wasn't just about uh, about Cuba. I even was on this huge, massive Telegram group back in, 20, in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, about, I mean, it was by, um, created by this huge figure in the maximalism, Bitcoin maximalism um, in U.S., but even there, there were a lot, a lot of, of Latin American people there. And um, at, at the beginning, I thought, this is great, this is awesome. But um, it was also very toxic, I have to say, mm-hmm. because it was like, a, it was not very different from religion. You know, mm-hmm. the whole idea, yeah. this is the new Messiah that is going to break everything down and everything is going to be fixed with the you know the development of this this new powerful thing that came from the skies and the world is going to be burned to the ashes and then it's going to rise <laughs> it was like very toxic so yeah. the world needs to end to practically get going somewhere and i think it's very cyberpunk cyberpunk stuff and it's very dystopical <laughs> stuff but um, I would say that um, there were a lot of a lot of people trying really trying to understand what what was going on, and uh, I just I, I got kicked off actually from the from the group. They they decided that I wasn't good enough, not good enough, not, oh, wow. not committed, committed. My me and a whole group of people that um, we met quote unquote we made in that telegram group and we are still friends i mean today we even have a, a telegram group a different telegram group because we made it just because of for us like we talk about anything because by in, in that other group you can only talk about bitcoin you know what it was very toxic so we were all of us like we were like 10 and they yeah. decided just 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 you know remove us from the group and we decided to to just create our own small group and we've been there for three years, and it, we are like a squad. And um, that's that the, the whole idea of Bitcoin unite us, you know. But um, I I think that the most important thing is that we found a different way of. Um, I'm not gonna say a different way, just an alternative way, okay, mm-hmm. of 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 society. And that's I didn't know that by then. It, it took me two whole years <laughs> to understand that. But now when I look back, I understand why. Why was that so important for me? Because it's exactly that. We, we were together, we were different, but at the same time, we had this, this questioning of our 
current societies, the current system, and that that unite us, you know. And here in Cuba, what you will find mostly if is there are traders groups, a lot of men, a few mm -hmm. women, but mostly mostly about trading, because like in many other places in Latin America, cryptocurrencies, like the word cryptocurrency, uh, were known thanks to Ponzi schemes. And um, do you want to be your own boss? Do you want to get rich fast? That, that, was, <laughs> yep. that, that was, that for real. If you want to really piss off any of these people in Spanish, you just got to tell them, do you want to be your boss? It's like, ¿Quieres ser tu propio jefe? That's in Spanish. That was the speech. So mm -hmm. what, re what remains from all that movement till today are these people trading, or at least thinking they're trading. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you've touched on a lot of really salient points about some of my own feelings about the movement you know i i came into this like the the web3 field in grad school where i had gone to a talk at mit and they were focusing on the privacy aspects of it and i thought it was incredibly cool i'd, I'd never heard of uh, these encryption schemes and thought the applications of it would be incredibly useful from like a security and privacy standpoint. Um, but the further I kind of followed the thread into seeing parts of the movement that weren't focused on privacy and security, it was quite shocking to see it mirror a lot of uh, themes from like a an MLM or multi-level marketing scheme mm. where mm. there is this evangelizing kind of um, tone to a lot of the the speeches that they give you in the telegram groups where they're just kind of like you have to be all in you have to you know yeah. be a maxi or a maximalist yeah. about this very specific product and it was something that I'd never really encountered before <laughs> and I would also kind of question kind of the accessibility of mm. the movement as well I know that we've we've spoken kind of offline about this but um, this web3 movement is so situated within, you know, providing borderless currency, making finance accessible to those that are underbanked or those that don't have access to traditional financial uh, instruments and, you know, can be accessible from anywhere. Uh, how, do you, how do you feel about <laughs> that, um, that sentiment yeah. that's pushed? Yes, it's it's um, it's hard to deal with it because I I do see in Web three as a movement, not just as a technology. 
the way that people like me can keep going because at least we can exist in web 2 today uh, we've been blocked by US government sanctions mm -hmm. and they just wipe you out you know you, you don't exist so you don't mm -hmm. have access at all even if you use VPN we have to use it practically for everything mm -hmm. um, which is exhausting Gabriel because when you don't I mean, if you, if it's your decision that you want to use VPN to protect yourself, it's okay, it's fine. But it's not the same when you have to use it because if you don't use it, you, you don't exist. So it's painful because every time you try to access the Web2 and a lot of projects, Web3 quote-unquote uh, projects, uh, you receive these signs that has that they have this this violence in, in the language, like you've been blocked, access denied. Just try mm -hmm. to to see it and how how that affects you as a person, as a human. So you are what a criminal. So that's that's the picture. That that's that's how it looks from our side. So when you listen about Web three, when you go deep into the technology and the history of the technology and the context, which was I learned with you and the Future Proof team, you understand the people behind the technology. And that's, that's what it, I think it's awesome. But the people behind the technology, it's good and it's bad. And I think it depends of how real they are into the movement, you know, or it's just about having profits. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's not the same, the Web3 movement and Web3 projects than projects and startups that are just using blockchain technology. For me, there is a difference. So when you're just into the blockchain technology, I don't know, I don't know, buzzword or, or something like that, when you just want to grab it and like, like AI, oh, we, are, we want AI now and we are specialists in AI and AI is going to save the world, blah, blah, blah. So mm -hmm. it's, it's the same. Yeah, it's the same. So yeah. if you don't understand, if you don't really get it as a, as a founder and you just want to, you know, like earn profit, which is good because it's a business, but it's not the only way. I mean, for me, Web3, it changes the way you see the world. When, once mm -hmm. you really understand it, it's like a lens and you realize like, wow, we can really have an, another way of, of creating value because once you start asking yourself what is money and what is value, which is my value as a human and why I'm going to give my time and my value for money if it's just paper and do we need banks? Oh, no, we don't. Oh, wow. Once you get there, I think you are not just talking about technology where you are just talking about a financial system you're going deep into a social movement so you you realize that i hope <laughs> people realize that there is an alternative way of structuring our societies but the truth is that if you don't get it it will be the same because technology always has always respond to those in power that's something mm -hmm. I've learned. And yeah. I think when you don't see it, when you try to copy the same business model, the same 
solutions that are web two, you're not gonna fix anything for people like me. So you are not mm -hmm. really being innovative and really um, using the technology that is so different and, and can really do a lot. Because it's um, there is a book <laughs> that is called The Internet of Money that mm -hmm. I, I really wanted to read and I, I did it. And then I realized you need to have money to actually be part of the internet of money. And what happens if you don't have the money? Mm -hmm. So yeah. I see yeah, when you come from, <laughs> when, when you come from a, a powerful or a, yeah, a, a strong um, economy when, when your currency is strong, one is, I understand that it's very difficult to understand the whole speech, the whole narrative, because you live comfortably, you know, or at least you think you live comfortably until one day you realize that everything is a dream, but okay, okay, fine. And in the other side, it's very, when you see and you start to understand the narrative, you also take for granted that everybody in the world just have the same conditions that you have and it's not that like that mm -hmm. it's not like that and i think that empathy and i think that you need uh, to understand about the intersections of so many areas and you need to understand about diversity equity and inclusion and to see how much you can actually change the life of people that it's not just about you and people like you. Mm -hmm. So if you start assuming that, okay, you just need internet. And I'm like, really? Just like that? Just having internet is so easy. And never... no, it's not like that. And in countries like mine, you, you have uh, huge problems with the infrastructure. Mm. And I'm talking about access to internet and I'm, I'm talking about the power cuts we have and I'm talking about the devices because it's not the same. How are you going to actually be part of Web3 if you have a phone, just have a phone? And I'm assuming just having a phone, which is a lot, okay? So you need a phone connected to a good internet and you need, <laughs> you need electricity. Hello, yeah. <laughs> not everybody. Yeah. So we have big problems in infrastructure to really get in this world that I, I envision and I really think it's possible. But nobody's talking about this. Like, hey, how, what are we going to do to have the right infrastructure? You mm -hmm. know, and how are we going to help or, or are we going to, I don't want to say empower because I don't like the word empower, but how, how can really unleash the power of the that these people in these countries already have you know and um, it's very difficult when you uh, when you deal with these barriers and right now i'm part of of the core team of um, a project a latin american project called without latam and we are like trying to bridge a gap gender gap and, and bringing you know more women into the pipeline but it's not just about education we yeah. want to create a decentralized ecosystem when we can actually create business models centered in our way of doing things well but, before we get get into that i um hmm. 
I do want to take some time to go back to what you're saying about just the steps that you have to take to even have the access that you want. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, you had mentioned having to use a VPN or a virtual private network, uh, which is this mechanism that creates a secure connection between a computing device and a Mm -hmm. computer network. For those that don't know, uh, people use VPNs for various purposes, but uh, the most common uses for it is to have a secure connection over insecure public internet and to bypass internet uh, censorship. However, uh, VPNs themselves can be, I would say, a bit clunky to use. And I think you kind of touched on this potent example of how the world of security and privacy is hard to engage with at times when you don't have the best infrastructure to support it, when maybe you might not have the best tooling yourself or have, you know, two separate devices, as you had mentioned a bit later. Um, And the fact that there is not just this this physical burden of having to use, you know, tools such as a VPN, but also the kind of, I would say, the more esoteric burden of having very pointed language stating that, you know, you are denied access to something. Um, That puts an additional strain on just being able to function in a world in which so many of us take for granted the accessibility of the internet. And I think it's something that, you know, we definitely deal with this in the United States in particular. We still do not have broadband access for all. There is this false narrative that everything will just be accessible for everyone, right? (laughs) And it's just going to be this shiny utopia and uh, we're all going to have, you know, at the end of the day, that's not true. And I think when we talk about the different sides of the Web3 movement, I do see that that language being incredibly inviting, especially when you don't have the privilege and the access that others have. And I think this was part of why I had such issues with how the movement was being portrayed in the United States, because I felt like a lot of organizations and media outlets weren't really telling the full story about how none of this is new. Blockchain is not new. This idea of decentralized and distributed computing is not new. And also want to touch upon that, like, 
this corruption of the space that we have seen is also nothing new. You know, you had said that, you know, the, where is the value? The value is often placed with those in power. And, you know, whether we're talking about blockchain or artificial intelligence, these, a lot of these emerging technologies will be vaulted to this place of uh, having this, this kind of ability to take us from the kind of clunky Luddite past to the uh, shining future <laughs> where, <laughs> you know, we'll be able to do all the things all at once with this piece of technology. Uh, but we don't really start to poke at the underbelly of it until we find out that, you know, the folks that are creating these technologies may not have our best and the, the public's interest in mind. <laughs> yes, you're right. You're right. We need to, I mean, we need to go back to, to reality and go back to people because at the end, if we somehow don't help to just I, I don't I don't know I don't know if it's to <laughs> if it's a, a big dream to solve this kind of, of problem but I've seen I've seen projects like see her and Cara Howard she's been actually talking about this and like inside a part of the fundamentals in in projects like see her it's exactly to at least helping with the basic needs, you know, for the people who are part of the project. Because if you don't somehow help with the infrastructure, what are you doing? So it's mm-hmm. just it's just something that is not real. Yeah. So I, I I really think it's it's um interesting to see people that are understanding that if you don't go there and and actually tackle this this kind of problems. Yeah, nothing is gonna happen. I mean, it's yeah, beautiful from so people like always in the same part of the world, but um, it's just a, a dream, you know. Yeah. So and, uh, yeah, and- I do. I, I do have <laughs> my feelings <laughs> with the with the whole with the whole um, yeah with the whole movement and the whole space. Definitely. <laughs> I would like to. I wanted to hear more about the group that you had mentioned. Can you tell us a little mm. bit more about what the goal and the vision of the group is and the name? Yeah, okay. Um, one of the things I have to learn in this space is to not try not to be in so many projects at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm a multi-potentialized person, so I do. I, I just love. I have too many passions, and Web three. It's like you can do anything, and at the same time, it's oh my god, I can do anything, and it's mm-hmm. like uh, at the same time, yeah. But one of the 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 projects I'm part of right now it's without Latam, and I thought about this because I'm seeing the same problem. You know, we want to. Mm. We want to bring. Um, no, I, I don't want to say bring more women into into the the whole. Um, we're not saying Web three because 
in Latin American, Gabriel, you know, it's uh, now that I go back and, and, and see my continent, I see the difference because I've been two years educating myself and in, in, in English, you know, and it's a whole different world. And it's like, I, um, when you talk about what three people get scared, you know, because they have no idea. And the first thing they think it's about scams. So they do talk about technology and emerging technologies and it's easier for them. Even when, mm-hmm. when you, they get into the project and, and they really understand that we are, what we are talking about and Hey, we want to, we want to actually um, create and design with you, with the whole community, a decentralized um, ecosystem. And this is the way we're going to do it. And this is how you do it. And, and that's, that's exactly the way they learn, you know, actually by doing. But, and I'm so proud that by the first time I'm having more Cuban women into this because I never could do that before it was impossible for me because I, I can't do it by myself. I can do it alone, mm-hmm. and I'm still dealing with it with the whole barriers about the infrastructure, about the financial barriers. I have it right now, so I'm dealing with this right now. I even don't see myself as um as a how does it call um a figure or, or something that you can inspire others because I still feel that I am not there <laughs> because. The, the, the supposed financial freedom, I don't have it. So I'm the first that I'm saying like, hey, I'm not there yet. So I still have to prove a lot of things to myself through Web3. And at, but at least we have these four Cubans and we are talking about decentralization and we're talking about Web3 beyond cryptocurrency, beyond all this hype about, you know, getting rich and all this stuff. And that's very interesting for me. But at the same time, all they have, it's a phone. They don't have laptops. They don't have this internet that I have right now here. I'm privileged here in Cuba because I can be sitting right now in my my room and just connect to the best internet that you want, you can have here in Cuba. They don't have it. They have to go to a park. They have to, to go to a public Wi-Fi, which is public because everybody can use it, but it's not for free. Yep. And um, I see the struggle. How can you learn something like that? How can you actually create? You can't. So it's very difficult. It's really, really difficult to do it. And and um, that, that's the reason why I thought about with Alatam and the struggles that I'm seeing right now with my Cuban folks, you know, because it's not the same in Latin America, because the people who really have access to this um, space, they are educated people and they have a different economical situation and financial situation. And uh, here in Cuba, the barriers are for everybody, <laughs> you yeah. know? So it's, it's not, it's not, um, a matter of how well you are in financially speaking or how educated you are because education here is, is public and you can just have a degree without actually having to pay. And that's not a problem. Our problem is it's, uh, about infrastructure and how can you really have access, like ha- real access to learn, 
it's impossible if you're in the middle of the park and the kids are around you. It's how can you really learn? So yeah. I'm seeing my, my, my girls there and I'm like, oh my God, it's just not. <laughs> at, at least it's in Spanish. Yes, at least it's in Spanish, which is very good. That's another very language. And, yeah. um, but at the same time, it's so different. It's overwhelming. And we have to find a way to go in deeper, not just, ah, we provide you the possibility to get into a platform and learn and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, okay, that's great. But you need to go deeper if you really want to, to help people and, and allow them to have access to what you're actually providing. So that's something I really don't know how to do right now. Um, I was just, um, yeah, I, I was talking about Cara Howard and, and uh, see her because she's actually doing this in Africa. And um, as part of, of her fundamental, that is very interesting. And it's exactly about how to actually help people in, in the project with the basic uh, economical and um, the infrastructure that they need to to start actually building something in Web3. Yeah. And that's very interesting. And for me, it's very innovative, you know, because I I particularly never, never saw that before. And I would love to also bring all of these ideas into into any project that I'm, I'm part of. But it's a huge challenge. <laughs> It definitely is a huge challenge, but I think that you are you are expressing a lot of maturity that I don't think a lot of folks in the larger tech sector are okay to admit, being that you don't have all the answers. <laughs> you know? I think no. it kind of goes back into like the culture of the tech space where I, I feel like it's it's mythologized that you learn this specific skill set, you have this authority to say what's best for this product that you're building. But at the end of the day, it's very hard to do that. You're coming from your own and you're imparting your own perspective and experiences as a human. Humans are fallible creatures after all. And that ties into why we're having and seeing more conversations from folks that are saying, this specific tech product was not built for me. It's not in my language. I don't have the right support to access this or you know, this specific tool just doesn't culturally adhere to how I am used to interacting with this tool or product. Yes. And I would love, <laughs> I would love it if more folks in the tech sector were just willing to admit that they don't have all the answers and that to start to create tools and products for everyone, there needs to be a diversity of builders, diversity of thought, 
not just at the entry level, but at every single level of an organization. Uh, yes. Because that, that really adds to the value of the product, um, in my opinion. And I think it's still something that a lot of the sector is really struggling with for a variety of different reasons. You are putting in the work to provide that educational piece from your own, you know, cultural standpoint, from your own language standpoint. And I think that's really important to acknowledge that these are the actual social networks that matter the most, in my opinion. I think you're, you're definitely doing that. We are almost out of time for today, but <laughs> I, I would love to kind of ask you, like, how do you feel moving forward in this space? Are there aspects of it that you are hopeful for? Or not? <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm, um, I'm a very optimistic person. And um, my positivity, I've learned that can be toxic. And I, mm. I, that's also something I, I have to deal with. And um, I really think and I really hope that we can, as humans, we can embrace the real, the real value behind all of these um, dreams and, you know, like rainbows and unicorns, and which is okay, it's part of the culture, I understand that. But I really, really hope um, that people can see beyond that. It's something I really want to do. And, and I'm trying to bring this perspective from, from my side of the world. And I know it's not easy. I know it's not something that everybody wants to hear. But you know what, Gabriel, it's not, for us, it's not a choice. When you have a choice and you can just do it or not, you're privileged. We don't have mm -hmm. a choice. This is, for me, it's the choice. So it's not perfect, okay? It's because it's human and I love that. And um, if you ask me, I'm going to keep, going and going and going over and over again because I have no choice. And like me, there's millions of people. But yeah. we just need to rise beyond this infrastructure problems and barriers that we already have. We're used to it, you know? So for us, it's like, a, oh, we have a storm. Oh, we have this. Oh, we have that. I'll just grab a cup of tea and everything's going to be okay at some point. It's okay. We, we're going to find a way because we have to survive. We are survivors, you know. And I, mm, I think yeah. this is what we are bringing in our culture. It's this, this um, it's for us, it's like breathing. It's in our DNA. We are survivors. So we, we're going to find a way. And we are finally getting into the movement. And I'm so happy to see people from Latin America and the global South in general, because um, I think we are, we are seeing an alternative. And that's, for me, it's one of the main things. It's critical to see that we can actually 
have another kind of world. It's not gonna be easy, it's not gonna be simple. Mm, are we gonna be able to do it? I have no idea. But uh, I, at least I feel like I have this fire, you know, inside me that it's actually bringing me passion and the possibility of actually doing something. If you remove this opportunity, this chance from me, from my life, I have no idea what I would be doing right now. Of course, I would be doing something, of course, but um, it's different, you know, um, and I think it's very, very important. And I feel, I feel like I'm finding step by step uh, people that are aligned all around the world with this vision. And that's, that's a great feeling that I'm oh, that, not alone. Uh, yeah, that I just, not just crazy woman speaking in the <laughs> corner to the dark, which is okay. I'm fine with it. But it's, it's, it's great that having a monologue and I should have a dialogue with another crazy person in the dark. So. <laughs> Isn't that just like the, you know, like epitome of, just like living <laughs> in 2023, just talking in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. your yeah. your hope is infectious, and I it's definitely something that I love hearing from you. Uh, really, really appreciate our talk today. Where can our listeners find you if you would like to be found? Yeah, of course. Um, mostly on LinkedIn right now. And you can find me there. And also on Mirror and in my blog, Out of the Shell. And um, that's pretty much. Awesome. But yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a great place to find me. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was wonderful having you. No, thank you, like always, for the space, for the opportunity to have in conversations, to have in a dialogue. And this is, this has been a great way of starting my day. Perfect. <laughs>